Pulp MX Network production. To this day, when I hear that song, I see you standing there on that lawn. Discount shades, store bought tank, flip flops, and cut off jeans. Somewhere between that. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's industry seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Pro Glow Wash, Works Connection, Bass Foundry, TL Speed Shop, Grandstone Boots, and Fly Racing. Well, we did it. We got through another Anaheim 1 2023, and what a, what a night of racing. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of chaos for everybody in the industry, whether it's riders, teams, uh, media, all the people that just, you know, if you work for a brand. Anaheim 1, is, it's a great time, don't get me wrong, but it is really challenging. There's just a lot to do. There's a lot to make sure, you know, get done, make sure everybody has what they need for the media, things to cover, people to talk to. Um, there's just a lot going on. It's by far the most uh, chaotic and fast-moving event of the year. But it's also really fun. Like, there's so much in anticipation, and the atmosphere is is just electric. There's, there's no other race of the year outside of maybe Motocross Nations that can really touch what Anaheim One has to bring. So we're going to talk about all of that. Um, of course, we want to thank the sponsors of this podcast, and we'll get into those, and, and I'll talk a little bit about those individually, but Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Fast Foundry, International Vet MX Series, TL Speed Shop, Works Connection, Pro Glow Wash, Grant Stone Boots, and Fly Racing, all bringing you the industry seating podcast for 2023. Great group of brands and companies and, and organizations that I am very proud to uh, be associated with. And uh, yeah, they're all on board for 23. So super exciting. And let's go straight into the racing. Why not? Why waste time? Um, 250 class, you know, it's a new year, right? You always want to, everybody's got this new year, new me thing, but new year and same old jet. Um, that looked to be in doubt though, honestly, if you looked at Jet's day and you were, you know, maybe you happened to be at the race or you were really paying attention, you were plugged into the afternoon qualifying sessions, Jet was not having a good day. Uh, crashes really looked out of sorts, lots of mistakes, um, didn't look comfortable at all. And that, that wasn't just my observation. That was everybody that, that was really easy to kind of see from everyone. And for him to be able to put all that out of his mind, come out and really just kind of execute in the main event was really impressive. And you kind of start to run out of superlatives for Jet Lawrence because every time you think there's some sort of crack or an opportunity, you know, for his competition to get an angle on him, or if you're a detractor, you're looking for some sort of daylight. He just smothers that, and he is still young. You know, Mathis has this thing where he thinks he should be on a 450 already. I personally don't. He's only 19. I think he's right on the, the correct path, but he's showing so much maturity in the face of adversity, 
Because it would have been very easy for him to allow the tough and difficult day to bother him and carry that into the night racing. The track was brutally tough at night, but he didn't. He just, it was like he was able to remove all of that and reset in that break. You know, there's like a two hour break after the last qualifying session and then the the night program. And I don't know if he took a nap or maybe he just was like, you know what? Forget it. Um, I'm just going to pretend this is the beginning of the day because he just looked totally different. Uh, He just looked calm and collected. And when it came main event time, he just got the job done. So kudos to Jet. Um, Again, you start to run out of ways to define how good this kid really is. RJ Hampshire, really strong performance from him. Uh, You know, the knock on RJ for years has been that he crashes, he takes too many chances, he can't stay consistent enough to put himself into championship contention. And I think those are all fair criticisms of him. He has earned that reputation be- just for doing those things, right? Like he has put those results on paper. And that doesn't mean he can't win. That doesn't mean he's not one of the best riders in the class. It just means when you look back over the course of a season, you can easily define where he you know, the season got away from him, where the points got away. And it's, you know, uh, a DNF here, uh, ninth place there. And at the end of a eight or nine race series, let alone 24 motos outdoors, those catch up with you. So that was a great, a great way to start the series. Strong ride for second. Didn't take, you know, a ton of chances. Didn't look like he was on the edge of control too much. Won his heat race. So let's see. Let's see if there's something there. Let's see if he can maintain what he showed us at A1. Third place, Cameron McAdoo. Uh, I thought he did looked awesome. He, he had a really great afternoon. He was kind of the opposite of Jet. And I even I was texting uh, and during the first untimed session. I'm like, if, if he doesn't crash, he's on the podium guaranteed. Just because he looked so comfortable. I liked his confidence and I liked how quickly he was adapting to the track. Uh, he actually went up and passed Jet and kind of was like not intimidated, wasn't waiting on Jet at all. I just liked what I saw from him and his approach in those practices. So third place is good, right? I thought he was maybe going to do better than that. Um, but I think if you are his team, anybody in his camp or Cam himself, you have to be happy with what A1 brought, right? Of course, you always want more, um, but... From beginning to end, he had a really nice weekend. Like, it was just a good way to start this series. So, good job to, uh, to Cam McAdoo. And I thought he was impressive uh, across the board. Um, all day long, mentally, physically, uh, he just, you know, speed-wise, everything. You know, you could argue that maybe he should have held RJ off there in the main event. But, yeah, it's, it's not like RJ wasn't riding well, right? So, somebody had to get second, somebody had to get third. Um, but I think if... A couple months ago, if you'd have offered Cam, hey, hey, we're going to, you can take a third right now. I think he takes it. You know, I, I'm sure he's like, man, I want to win. He, he stated that many times I'm here to win. But I think you would have to be willing to take a podium, all things considered, at the opener. The track itself for the 250s, I mean, it, it bit a lot of guys, right? Austin Forkner, Pierce Brown. It, it was treacherous. And we saw this stuff happen all day. I mean, Jet Lawrence crashed right off the bat over the bars, like a big one. And you wondered going in, or I was wondering anyway, I knew somebody was going to crash. I, it, you could, it was happening all day long. It wasn't like 
on a brutally tough racetrack when these guys are really going to push the edge in the main event. It wasn't like nobody was <clears throat> going to take the brunt of that. I just felt like it was a matter of who. And it ended up being Pierce and Austin Forkner. I mean, Forkner barely made it 50 yards out of the, you know, the start, and he was already flipping, and now he's injured, and we don't know the extent of that. But it's a pretty big letdown because both of those two are podium contenders. And if I don't know how, you know, we don't know the extent of their injuries just yet, but points wise, even if they can race Oakland, they just hurt their chances of being in the title conversation at all. So the series took a hit on the first lap of the main event, which is a bummer. I don't even know if it was Pierce in the heat race. Pierce may have been in the heat. Um, I, I should know that. Uh, but either way, it sucks to lose two championship contenders right off the bat. So that's, that's a bummer. Um, but you kind of knew if you were watching all day and you saw the way the day was unfolding, it was almost like an inevitability that we were going to have some sort of chaos and some DNFs and you hoped it wouldn't lead to injury, but man, it just, it just felt like it was so possible with the way the track was. The last note I have on the 250s, or excuse me, on those guys before we move on to the star guys was, you know, can Forkner just buy a break? I mean, for real, like Facebook marketplace, eBay, like can somebody just lend him a break? He just can't get any luck. And and if you watched qualifying practice, you saw how great he was all day. Like he looked the part. He looked like he was ready to make this 2023 season like his coming back party. I don't even say coming, you know, it's not like a coming out party because he's won races. I think he's won like 12 races in this class. But it was like the the welcome back for Austin Forkner and he doesn't even make it a full lap in the main event. So it's a real bummer. The star guys, they're okay. I mean, seven and nine is not catastrophic if you compare it to like what Forkner's dealing with. But the problem is on that team, they expect winning. That team has been so successful for so long now to tell Bobby Reagan and their, you know, their team that you're going to be seven and nine leaving the open, that's not good enough. Like that is not what they expect. They expect to be at the front. So was it horrible? No, but you're grading on a curve when you're on Monster Star Yamaha. So I'm sure that those guys were not looking forward to going back to the truck. I'm sure that the team mood for the 250 side wasn't great. Even though Tomac won, maybe that was the saving grace that Tomac won. Uh, but it, it just wasn't uh, wasn't their night. They really weren't in contention at all. You never really saw them at the front at all, like at any point during the night. And they were almost like also-rans, right? They were v- almost invisible, which is crazy to say about that team because we're so used to we're so used to them being at the front, and uh, that just wasn't the case this weekend. So uh, without further ado, let's jump into the power rankings. But before we do, I want to talk sponsors a little bit. Pirelli has their uh, amateur support program that's ongoing, so check that out, hashtag Pirelli Moto, um, and you can be a part of the Pirelli team. Go to their Instagram, at Pirelli Moto. You can find out more information there. So thank you to them for once again being the title sponsor of this podcast. Guts Racing. Uh, They are really branching out into the e-bike market. That is a huge, huge development for them. So you can get uh, seat covers for your e-bike. They're going to have the bases as well. So if you're like getting a Surant, which is a a really popular model, 
check out Guts Racing. Obviously, they have all of your you know power sports needs as well, but that e-bike market is a, is a huge deal for them. Uh, Plum Creek Funding, they have expanded. So now if you want to buy a house in California, Colorado, Nevada, Texas, Florida, Idaho, um, you can reach out to Plum Creek Funding and their affiliates. They have uh, other agents they're working with and brokers to get uh, your house refi, your house bought. Um, it's a tough time for refis, right? The rates are, rates are pretty high. We're in the mid sixes, but people still need to buy houses and prices have come down a lot. So maybe this is your opportunity, especially if you could put a lot down um, and then you wouldn't be so subject and penalized by a higher interest rate. So, so reach out to those guys and uh, see what they can do for you. Fast Foundry, thanks again to them for being on board. Small business, big business, I think 2023 is going to be a really challenging environment for business, so you want to be as nimble as possible. So reach out to Fast Foundry and see how they can help. TL Speed Shop, I think that's a it's a really cool opportunity for vacations, corporate events. You can fly into Phoenix. They're based in Wickenburg, Arizona, right up the road. They have a one-stop shop for your, you know, you can go to Sedona, you can go to Baja, you can go to the Grand Canyon, you can do all these things, and it's a side-by-side adventure. And I'm gonna actually do this in April, so that's gonna be super fun. Uh, get a bunch, you know, we'll capture some content and be able to share that. But what a cool way to—you don't have to go out and buy a thirty or forty thousand dollars side by side. You, your family, your buddies, coworkers, whatever, can fly into Phoenix, and everything's dialed right. It's it's ready to go. Just turnkey, and you can have a great time. So reach out to uh, TL Speed Shop and and basically dream up your uh, your side by side vacation there. International Vet MX Series, a brand new sponsor for 2023. And I'm pretty excited about this one. This one's cool, Like, So basically what it is, it's a series and it's older riders. Like they're really targeting the, the 30 plus crowd and go there. It's two day events. The first one is the first weekend in April and it starts, uh, the first one's at Sandy Valley in Vegas. And it's just a good time. They have a five moto format. So you get tons and tons of riding. Uh, their title sponsor for uh, for 23 is Power Motorsports out of Sublim- Sublimity, Oregon. So shout out to them. But it's just a great group of guys that are in it for fun. They've been around this stuff forever, and they get together and race. There's you know stuff going on that night. Like it's a great weekend event for you, your family. Take you know go out there with a the camper, and it's not Loretta's right where all these kids are super competitive. It's a little bit more laid back than that. Um, and it's, it's really steered more towards the vet racers. So that's a really cool new sponsor for this year. They're also sponsoring Chris Kiefer's podcast. And they're just trying to spread the word. They want people to know that there is a place to go. You know, for myself, I'm 43, right? So I would be a perfect candidate to go be, to be racing a series like this where it's just all about fun and riding dirt bikes and getting a ton of track time as well. Uh, Works Connection, if you didn't notice... Uh, I think they had 11 in one class and 13 in the other running the Pro Launch Start Device. They also had Tomac. They also had Sexton. All those guys, they run the Pro Launch Start Device. Jet Lawrence, also your whole shot getter in the uh, 250 class or first lap leader anyway. Um, these guys all choose the Pro Launch Start Device. And they're on factory teams, right? They could build their own if they really wanted to, but they choose the Works Connection Pro Launch Start Device for good reason. Also check out their new foot peg mounts for the Yamaha that Chris Kiefer helped Works Connection develop. Great product from them. Uh, check out ProGlow Wash, Power Sports specific wash. They're going to be in Walmart. They're going to be on Amazon soon. Great places to pick that up. But ProGlow Wash, a Power Sports specific wash. So it's side-by-side street bike, dirt bike, whatever. 
get that grime off. If you ride at tracks with like black dirt, it's perfect for stuff like that. And a, just a great group of people at Pro Glow Wash as well. Grant Stone Boots actually got a brand new pair last week. Super excited, black ones. Uh, so I'll, I'll send out a picture of those pretty soon. And last but not least, of course, Fly Racing. So thank you to them and uh, great showing. We had the LE Brazen launch this past weekend. So a limited edition set of gear there. But I know all of you don't listen to that for the, the advertisements, but it's the first one of the year. I want to make sure we get those in. But we are back. We're back. It's the power rankings. I haven't done a power rankings in, I don't know, three months, something like that. So I was excited to actually do it. I wrote all my notes and, and kind of laid this all out this morning. And it had been so long, I kind of had to go back and look at my format and who belonged where. And I was arguing with myself about who belonged and who didn't. Don't want to be victim of the moment. And, you know, like I need to factor in last year a tiny bit, but also a lot of what we saw at Anaheim. And then think about, okay, who was fast but maybe crashed. And, and there's a lot of variables there too, especially with one weekend of data to work with. So last but not least, certainly not least because we have some honorable mentions, but at number 10, I put Adam Cincerillo. And he got ninth at the race, but we know he's, it's his first race back. We know he's dealing with some nerve damage in his arm. He also crashed once in the main event. So I feel okay with him being 10th. Now, could he move up? Do I expect him to move up? Yes, I do. But without racing really last year, and also some of the guys like Christian Craig and some of these guys that didn't make the top 10, I think it's, he's fairly placed here. So I'm, I'm putting him a 10, and I'll just, I'm going to wait and see on which direction Adam goes because I think he has the capability of, of moving forward from here I'm sure he was nervous. He hasn't raced in a long time. And uh, yeah, he has an opportunity to move up. Number nine is Aaron Plessinger. And you're going to say, how can he be ninth? He finished better than that. What did he get? Seventh? But when you look at who's ahead of him, I can make a case for all these guys being ahead of him based off of last year's results. And that I'm weighing some of that, right? I'm not just going to go off of one round. I'm going to look at how did last Supercross series go? How did last summer go? And then I'm going to factor in one race as well. So I think AP at nine is questionable. Could he be seven or eight? Sure, he, he could. And I debated it pretty hard, but I just didn't, I didn't want to go everything based off of just one main event. There's way too much nervousness and the track was a mess. Um, so I don't, I don't want to completely change my opinion of some of these guys based off of one round. Number eight was Muscan, and this is one that was tough because he got 12th in the race, so it's hard for me to justify him being at eight other than I'm going off of what he's done in the past and what I think he's going to do in the future. He didn't have a great main event, but I, I liked what I saw from him during the day, so I'm, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt here at eight, and if you want to criticize that and you want to say he's misplaced, I don't have a lot of argument for you. I'm just, I'm just going to put him at eight because I think I will be proven right that he is going to be eighth or better a lot from here. And I think the odds, or let's say, which is the most likely scenario? Does he go higher up the rankings or does he move back nine, 10 or out? I think it's more likely he moves up. That's why I am giving him the benefit of the doubt here because I think it was a one-off race. I don't think he's a 12th place guy. And I think we're going to see better days from Marv. 
At seven, I have Barsha, and he's kind of in the same vein as Marvin, but you have to also factor in that Barsha was leading the race, right? He led for a few laps, then he crashes, um, and then he had a tough go from there, but he showed flashes of brilliance, and he showed that he could be at the front. So even though his results weren't stellar, he showed me enough that he's still Justin Barsha. He's still going to get good starts, and he's still going to be a top-five threat for most of this series. Number six is Mookie, and this is, this is also really tough because Mookie could have won the race. So I can understand why you go, how could you have Mookie six? He was so much better than sixth. Yes, but the result was terrible, you know, so I have that to factor in. He got lapped. And also, when I look at who's ahead of him, how do I put him ahead of these guys that all did decently well and all beat him in the race? So that's a tough one. You know, a lot of these, I I could move them all fluidly two, three, four spots around and make a great case for that. You know, I could. I could I could argue both sides of a lot of these guys moving up and down a little bit. But in the end at the end of the day, they have to be somewhere. And I want to be able to assign them something and then be able to argue and and be believable. And we'll see. We're gonna get so much more data and the picture's been gonna become more clear than just one round. Now Ken Roxon is this one's more straightforward. He was fifth in the race. I have him at five. And I didn't think Kenny looked that comfortable on the weekend. He looked very conservative on the bike. I saw him making a ton of mistakes. The rhythm section, like the third baseline rhythm section, his like front end was high, front end was low. He was casing stuff. He just looked like he was trying to sort out the bike in the middle of the race. And I think that's something that they will get better with. He's going to, he, I'm sure he learned a lot about race settings this weekend. And he probably will be able to apply that and test this week and say, okay, we thought we knew all these things, but in a race situation where I'm maybe pushing harder or the track is much rougher or these, there's these huge G out holes that I haven't come across in our testing yet because that track was so unique, the bike was doing all these things that we need to have an answer for. Now, is that track likely to be replicated many times this year? No, but you need to have answers to the questions that a track like that asks of you, right? Because you just need to have that data and say, okay, if we face this again, what are we going to do with the bike? And those were all unknowns, I believe, going into that main event. And he probably learned a lot about what the feeling he's going to be looking for next time, because we're going to face more rain in this California swing. That weather out here is awful right now. So whether it's Oakland or San Diego or Anaheim too, we're probably getting more, you know, inclement weather over the next month. So they're going to want to have some sort of direction to go. And on a brand new bike, on a new team and all that, that's the toughest part is you don't have all of that built up test data and race spec data. And if you do this, what is the result in a race situation? Those are all things that you're learning on the fly. And uh, I just kind of saw that in his riding. Now, it wasn't bad. It was a fifth. Um, I just didn't really see him looking very comfortable where he wanted to push forward very much. Number four, I have Jason Anderson and not a good day for Anderson, mostly in my opinion, because of that big crash in the first time session. I think that completely derailed his day. I think if you take that crash away from him, 
he's probably in the podium fight because he looked aggressive in the morning or in the first untimed. And then I was told he broke his nose. So that couldn't have felt good to be trying to breathe throughout the main event. And he just looked like it took the fire away from him. Like, you know, these guys want to race with edge. They want to be aggressive and fired, excuse me, fired up going into the night show and the main event. I don't think he had that because of the crash. I just, it just has a way of just, it just takes a little bit off. Right. And these guys need to be right on the razor's edge. And that's what they train so hard for us to be ready for this race. And there's so much anticipation going into this night. And I think it just, I just files that down a little bit and dulls your senses a little bit. And that's just kind of how he looked. He just didn't look like himself. So we'll see if he bounces back. I thought he fought pretty hard to get to seventh. And I think he will be better from here. I still think he's going to be the Jason Anderson we saw last year. Um, those, those conditions weren't ideal for him. Uh, I don't really consider him a soft, tacky, ruddy, terrible race conditions type guy. He's better at what your normal Anaheim conditions are. Hard pack, slippery, searching for traction. Those are his best conditions. And we were far, far from that on Saturday night. So maybe Oakland's another struggle if it's wet. Um, but I think Jason Anderson of old will be uh, arriving soon. So I still have him at four based off of last year. I mean, he won seven races. He had a great outdoor season. And I'm not going to just completely throw out the baby with the bathwater because he had one bad, bad Saturday. Number three, Cooper Webb. And this was a resurgence ride from Webb. You know, last Supercross season, not good. Didn't win a race. I think by all accounts, it was a down year for Cooper Webb. It would be very hard to argue against that. He didn't race pro motocross at all. And this was the plan is take the time off, get back on Alden Baker's program. Make, we're going to make a ton of changes to the motorcycle and we're going to come out swinging in January. Now, I was very worried in Paris because what I saw was not indicative of that plan taking shape. I just didn't see a lot of difference between last year's Cooper Webb and Supercross and what he needs to be back to be a title contender. Like I didn't see that jump. I was I'm much closer to being there now. He just looked aggressive. He looked like the Cooper Webb of old late in the race. And go back a few years. Think about what Cooper Webb did so well in his championship runs. He was so difficult to deal with in the last three or four laps. We all remember, or maybe you don't, go back and look at how much he just tortured Ken Roxon on the last laps of races, whether it was for second, whether it was for the win. He just owned those guys. He would out-duel them. He would out-fitness them. Whatever it took, he would outsmart them. However you want to portray that, he was getting the job done, and you see him do it to Chase Sexton, at A1. So that was very reassuring. If you are Team Webb or your KTM, that was a very reassuring sign from Cooper Webb and just a great overall main event from him. I mean, he passed so many guys to get to second. And was he as good as Eli Tomac? No. Tomac pulled away from him. But you don't necessarily have to win the opener. You just want to see signs of life. You just want to see Webb look like the Webb of old. And that's enough. That is enough coming out of the opener to, to really give everybody, whether it's his team, the people around him, which that all reflects on him, right? They're the people that he's going to be surrounded by all week. Give them a shot in the arm 
and let that confidence kind of flow through them. And it's going to change the whole tone of that team because last year I think they were pretty down. Like they were, they were disappointed with how things are going. It was probably the worst year for KTM in a long time. You know, they only won one race. AP7 didn't ride well. Marv was okay. And Webb had a down year. So that was a nice bounce back for Webb and, and really the bright spot of, of uh, the KTM group's weekend. Number two should be pretty obvious is Chase Sexton. And you could argue, how do you have him at two? Cooper Webb beat him straight up. Yes, but look at what Chase Sexton has done over the last six months, right? He had a phenomenal summer, battled Tomac to the end for the pro motocross title, comes up a tad bit short, but anybody who watched could obviously see Sexton turn the corner and become the real deal. Like he is for real. He's going to be a title contender. He won his heat race easily. Like he's arrived. So a third at the opener, I'm not worried. Like the track was brutal and he probably didn't want to throw away a podium. Um, So I think he is very deserving of being at number two. Doesn't mean Webb can't pass him. It just means this is where he's earned. He's earned to be number two right now. Even, Even with a third, he is solidly my number two for now. Number one, very obvious. He's been number one for a long time now is Eli Tomac and what a ride. Like you look at that race overall, he wins his heat. He looks like he's going to run away with the main event. And then he has this weird crash, right? He loses the front end up the the tunnel jump and goes way back. And you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, you know, I think everybody collectively was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe Tomac just threw this away. I can't believe it. You know, there was no pressure and this was completely his own fault, like self-induced error. And then you just watch him systematically pick these guys off and move back to the front. There was no panic. There was no freak out, right? That would have been a, very, a situation where five years ago, you could have seen Tomac melt down there and get like a 10th. We've seen it before, but that was not what he did. He collected himself. He got his lap times back down and he wrote, I don't want to say mistake-free because that track was pretty much impossible to be mistake-free, but he just clicked the laps off and his lap times are good enough that he didn't have to do anything. Like he could just put the laps in and reel those guys in. And that's what makes races like A1 so cool is that it's not follow the leader. It's not just like robotic laps. Like you really have to think about what you're doing, be locked in, and you have to try hard to put consistent laps in. I'm Forget about perfect laps doing all the jumps, not making big mistakes. Like it, it is, has to be a very concerted effort by these guys to do that on a track like that. And it was who could do it and who couldn't. It wasn't about who could have the blinding speed and blow everybody away with some sort of crazy technique or some huge rhythm section. That wasn't what this, this race was about, especially in the main event. This was about consistency, mistake-free riding, and finding the, the least deteriorated lines as the track was evolving. And Tomac showed his prowess and all those things. And it's a, it was a testament to several things. It was a testament to his poise, right, in the face of adversity with the crash. It was a testament to him on a brand new motorcycle being that good this early. Um, and also, 
I actually skipped uh, Dylan Ferrandis in this this power rankings, which is wild. I can't believe I did that. Um, but we will cover. I'll cover Dylan Ferrandis. But I just liked everything that I saw about Tomac's ride. The crash sucked. Whatever, right? That that was a, a huge mistake and could have cost him badly. But his ability to carve through the pack and then win pretty easily. That is a very, very scary dynamic for everybody else. Now, is Sexton scared? No, he shouldn't be. Like he went toe to toe with Tomac all summer, but man, that's a really strong statement for a rider who has historically struggled at the opener and January as a whole. Like January's not been kind to Tomac overall in his career. To come out that good that early, you have to. It has to give you pause, right? If you're everybody else. Um, and there's nothing they can do about it, right? They're going to go into Oakland and, and try to beat him just like they did at A1. But for us who don't have a dog in the fight, you have to sit back and go, man, these, might, these guys might be in trouble. You know, you, you don't want to take too much away from one race. But if you're going to, he gave you a lot to take away there. So I apologize to Dylan Fernandez. He should have been in this mix somewhere. He should be somewhere five, six, probably in there. Um, I don't know. That's a glaring oversight on my part, but Dylan rode really well. Um, I thought the track worked well for Dylan because he has so much bike skill and his skill set is very strong for this type of racetrack. You remember like his other races he's done well, like Houston, let's go back to 2020 Houston. When we had the triple header, he gets third at the opener. I think it was the opener. Um, and the track was just beat to hell, same situation as this. So, you know, he rides these kind of conditions really well. So it shouldn't be a shock to, uh, for him to start in fourth. Now the honorable mention guys that didn't make the top 10, which I guess Cincerola would have to be in this group too. Now that I've inserted Ferrandez, so I really screwed this up. I apologize. Christian Craig should have been, I think a top 10 guy. He had a huge crash in the whoops. Uh, he was second in the first untimed session. So you could see the speed was there. That crash, I think, did the same thing to him that it did to Jason Anderson, right? It just sets you back in the day. It it hits your confidence. I don't think you approach the rest of the day the same. Like you're not attacking the day the same way you were. You go into this conservative mode where it's like, man, I I was hoping to come here and get on the podium. Now I just, I got to fight through you know, he probably hit his head somewhat. I'm not saying he had a concussion. I'm just saying like he crashed really hard. So I'm sure he was feeling the effects of that. And it's just really hard to find your best self and intensity and all the things you need to be your best after you take a big hit like that. Kyle Chisholm was the same. Anderson was the same. Cincerulo was the same. You just go down the list of all the guys that had big ones. And I don't think you get their best stuff afterwards from that. That's just how it goes. That's, that's a normal dynamic. Uh, I thought Joey Savacci was pretty good. He uh, is honorable mention as well. Fought with Adam Cincerello the entire main event. Uh, I think he got 10th in the race. A strong race from him. And, and he's your number one draft pick. If one of these guys goes down, if a factory rider gets hurt, I think you see them immediately call Joey Savacci and get him to fill in. And why would you not, right? He's proven time and time again that he can do that. He can jump on factory equipment. He's versatile. Uh, I think he's pretty easy to work with. And uh, yeah, he, he would be a great fill-in for any of these guys. So we'll see if that happens. Of course, none of us want to see anybody get hurt. But 
it's what, it's what happens in the sport. People get hurt. And you, if you're a team, they have sponsors and they have contracts that they need to fulfill. They need to put somebody on the, race, on the bike on the weekend. And Joey looks like that guy. The last of these guys that you could make an argument he should have been in the top 10 is Colt Nichols. He gets sixth in the main event. Unbelievable. Now, it's probably the quietest sixth place I've ever seen. He got the whole shot and then was immediately shuffled back. I think I probably saw him move over for five, six, seven guys. Like, for real. Like, every time he would go into a corner and someone would pressure him, he would move over. And I don't know if that was just because he wanted to get through this race and not get into some sort of, you know, contact, you know, battle with someone. I don't know what his approach was, but I saw it time and time again. So it's hard for me to think that it wasn't on purpose. But then you look up at the end of the night and he's sixth because he didn't crash. He didn't get into any sort of confrontation with anybody. He just put his laps in and they were, they were reasonable or they were pretty good laps. Now, was he able to move forward at any really most of the race? No, but through attrition, he just hung around. And sixth place is a great ride, right? If you ask most people that weren't, you know, if they were just watching the race at the front, if you told them that Nichols got sixth when the checkered flag fly, they'd be like, there's no way. There's absolutely no way that's true. Yet he did it. And it's, it's a huge coup for him. It's a huge coup for Honda HRC who took a chance on him, right? They didn't sign Roxon. They had to put somebody in that spot. And they took a chance on Nichols coming off of a huge arm injury at this exact race last year. So uh, congrats to all everybody involved. That is a great, great result for them. Uh, and they should, they should be thrilled. Um, I'm sure they are, but they deserve a ton of credit. And I'm sure Colt, that, I'm sure he was still, he's still smiling, right? 24 hours later, he probably still has a smile on his face and he should. That was awesome. That was a really good, it's just a feel good moment for everybody. Even if you don't like him or don't know him or anything, it would be very hard to not be very, very happy for Colt Nichols. So it's a great way to, to uh, end this podcast. Uh, thank you again to all the sponsors. Couldn't do it without them. Uh, and we'll be at Oakland next weekend. I will be helping a little bit with the Race Day Live crew uh, in the afternoon. And then I will make my television debut for Supercross at Anaheim 2. So a little warm-up next weekend, probably in the rain, which will suck. Um, and then, yeah, a couple more weeks and uh, TV it is. So thanks again. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And 2023, we're here.